Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Doing good? It's good. You guys are alive. It's awesome. Second service, you get to sleep in a little bit. I understand. How many of you here have siblings? Good amount. Wow, awesome. Okay, very cool. How many of you um, are an older sibling? How many of you are the oldest sibling? Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, how big um, of families do we have here? You could just yell them out. I'm, I'm one of four. Three, ten. Fourteen? Wow, that's incredible. Last service we had ten was the max. Okay, but fourteen, that's a new record. That's, that's amazing. Um, I, I am one of four. My wife is uh, one of six. So we are acquainted with big families. Um, for the older siblings in the crowd or oldest siblings in the crowd, um, you know that you have all the power. Um, I am the oldest of four boys, so you could imagine um, how much power I have, how much authority I have over my younger brothers. I, would use, I used to make them do the craziest things, um, and if they got in trouble, well, they would get the blame for it. Um, so I would use my authority, especially with my brother Austin. We're, we're two years apart, and, and I make fun now because if, you've, if you know Austin, he's much taller than me, much bulkier than me, so he can beat me up, so I can't really use that same authority. Um, but I used to, and I, I used my authority to get what I wanted. This morning, we're going to talk about authority. We're going to continue our series. Um, we're going we're to apply the gospel message to the concept of authority. What does it look like to uh, look biblically and Christ-like at the idea of authority? The, my goal this morning, the thesis is simple. You should live out the gospel by both exercising and submitting to authority in the manner of Jesus. Authority in the ways of the world, or natural to humanity, like I just expressed with our, with our siblings, we want to use our authority to gain something. Whether it's recognition, um, whether it's service, we use authority to get something from someone else. But Jesus taught a different dynamic in the kingdom of heaven. Luke 22 reads this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. I especially resonate with Jesus saying, um, the greatest um, among you shall become like the youngest. Because it paints a very relatable picture. I, I see what it would entail for me to become like the youngest brother in my family. It would have to be a lot of swallowing of my own pride. That term younger there um, could refer, especially in Eastern families, to the young children who do the menial tasks. The, the dirty jobs that the older siblings don't want to do. Bear with me for a moment as I bring you into the Rambrose household. Um, when I was uh, living with my parents, uh, we had a pan known as the egg pan. Okay, stick with me. You can imagine uh, many boys in our family, we eat a lot of eggs. You know, we're trying to bulk up. There's a lot of testosterone going. And so we had a specific pan for eggs because it was nonstick, you know, whatever. You, you couldn't be cooking your chicken or whatever on it. You get quickly rebuked like, bro, you know that's the egg pan. Whenever I went to go make eggs, and if I saw the egg pan dirty on the stove, I would immediately, you know, yell, Ashton, Mikey, get down here. You've got to clean your pan, right? Like, so I, you can, so I can make eggs, right? It never occurred to me, um, at least before Christ, it never occurred to me, how about you wash it, right? How about, how about you serve your brother and, and you do the dish even though you didn't do it? 
Because I always thought, I'm the oldest. Menial tasks are, I'm above menial tasks. But Jesus taught a different way. Why is this definition an exercise of authority so foreign to us? Why is um, the authority that Jesus taught to serve other people rather than to be served, why is this so contrary to, to what seems like human nature? Um, I believe there are two major misconceptions that need to be addressed before we can understand why we ought to serve um, in that way, why we ought to exercise our authority as one who serves. So what I want to do this morning is I want to tackle these two misconceptions, address them, and then I want to get into some practical applications of exercising authority and submitting to authority. Sound good? Does that make sense? Okay. So the first misconception We do not earn our authority or status. We do not earn our authority or status. When we believe that we are entitled to our position of authority because we earned it, we will use our authority to demand respect from others. That term benefactor that Jesus uses um, is in reference to a title of honor usually given to a king, a prince, or somebody who served their country. Now, it's one thing to... Um, recognize a benefactor. It is one thing for me to look at somebody and honor them as a man of God, a woman of God, somebody who served my country, um, or, or, you know, being a special person. It is another thing to assume the title of benefactor for yourself and demand honor from one another as if it is due to you because you earned it. You see the difference? This will produce an unsaid expectation for others to acknowledge you as you think you ought to be acknowledged. And when this doesn't happen, we get offended, right? This might surface in phrases like, do you know who I am, right? Do you know how long I I worked this job? Do you know how long I served at this church? We We will think that we need some type of honor because somehow we have earned it, we are worthy of it, um, because we are somehow greater than than those around us. And we may have the wherewithal to not actually say that. But how many times when we're not acknowledged, we feel dishonored according to the authority we hold, how many times do we respond this way in our hearts, right? How many times do you you respond back to that person, maybe not vocally, but in your heart, you know your your pride was stepped on? I'm going to be transparent with you this morning. Um, A personal example that I am currently wrestling with and, you know, the Lord has brought to my own attention. Um, Whenever I tell somebody that I am a youth pastor... Um, It is usually assumed that I am uneducated um, and I'm pretty much just watching kids. That's that's my job. I'm just a glorified babysitter, right? And in my pride, I want to defend myself and say, I'm educated, right? I went to college. I, I know things, right? But what is going on when I try to defend myself is that I am saying I am not like those uneducated people. I am not like those youth pastors that may not be educated. What is going on if I'm not aware is that I am saying that I ought not be associated with that person, right? Because somehow in some way I'm better. It's not that I just want to be recognized as educated. It's that I want to be recognized as greater than the person who's not educated. And and now that's a sneaky thing, right? Uh, Obviously the Lord brings that to my attention. It comes with insecurity and many other things, but it's a sneaky thing that can easily go unnoticed if unaddressed, um, and we will exercise our authority in accordance with that need to, to be acknowledged for what I think that I deserve to be. Does that make sense? Yes. John the Baptist addressed this mindset in the Pharisees. He says this, 
And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. You see, the, the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of the Jews, um, they had a sense of entitlement because they were born as a Jew. They refused to be compared to the Gentiles as if they were greater fundamentally than those people. Right? So they would say, don't tell me about repentance, John. I, I was born into the, the family of Abraham. Right? I'm a Jew. I'm not like one of those Gentiles. And what happens is they are thinking that they are qualified or they, are, they, they merit the position of authority given to them because they are somehow fundamentally greater than, in this case, the Gentiles. Now, this, this divide is experienced in all realms of society. This is not just a church thing. It's not just a religious thing. Um, I explained about uh, social credit in my family dynamic, right? As the older brother, you, you tend to have more social credit. Um, and I used to get mad as the older brother whenever I felt that social credit was dishonored. For example, when somebody, because as Austin and I were growing up, um, we were only two years apart and, you know, he's taller than me, they used to think we were twins. And then it got worse. As he got older and taller, they thought he was the older one. And I used to feel very dishonored when somebody didn't recognize that I was the older one. As if I earned my right to be born first, right? As if I worked really hard to be born first. Some other examples of, of this divide could be um, something simple like at work, right? You can have a long-time employee versus the new hire. There's more social credit with the long-time long employee because they've been there, they know the job versus the new hire. Or maybe a boss at work, right? Um, that boss actually has authority that he can exercise to fire somebody. Um, and that, there's all, um, obviously going to be more social credit too with that boss. For example, um, if your boss cracks a joke and you want to suck up to your boss, you're going to laugh right? Versus if the new guy cracks a joke, you have no reason to, to flatter him, right? Um, the school athlete, right? The, the good-looking, handsome jock um, versus the new kid at school who doesn't have any friends, right? One has more social authority or social credit in that dynamic, in that realm. Um, this goes for the long-time church member versus the new Christian. I do jujitsu. Um, in in jujitsu, you have a belt system, right? So the white belt is one of lower authority, lower social, social credit versus the black belt, Right? Partly because you know the black belt can kick your butt, um, so you don't mess with them. But also, too, because they've acquired some type of um, reputation among their peers. The last example I have, or maybe some relate to, um, would be a sergeant versus a private right, in the military. The sergeant um, has some level of authority, and there might be some level of social credit that that sergeant has, where what he says carries more weight um, than the private. Removing this sense of entitlement... Um, or addressing this idea that you are somehow greater than others is not to turn a blind eye to reality. I want to make this quick point before we carry on. There is, in this sense, a real separation, right? For example, the Jews actually were the people of God called out different than the Gentiles. There was a, different, uh, a difference. They had different laws. They abided by, they worshipped the one true creator God, so they were different from the Gentiles. Um, or a black belt is obviously of greater skill than a white belt. And, um, you know, you, you can apply it to all the analogies I mentioned. The problem is not simply recognizing the divide. The problem is believing that I have earned my authority by my own greatness. That I am in this position because I am somehow fundamentally greater than other people. This is just simply not true. John the Baptist addresses this thinking um, in John chapter 3. It says this, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. This was John's um, disciples talking to him about Jesus. 
John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This is a principle that is riddled throughout the Bible, that God alone grants authority. God raises up kings. He brings down kings. He grants food to the birds, right? He clothes the grass. All things are under the authority and the sovereignty of God. So what John is saying is my position of authority, my role was never mine in the first place. And because he recognized that, when Jesus began to increase, John humbly backed off and said, this was given to me by God. And he submitted under, under Jesus' lordship. And he says, he must de- decrease as I, or he must increase as I decrease. It was never my own righteousness that made me a leader in the church. It was never my own goodness that made me the, um, to, to have some type of right to become a pastor. It was never your wisdom, your skill set, um, or your discipline that got you your job. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that righteousness, wisdom, your skill set aren't things that we need to um, steward well and be responsible for, right? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is at the end of the day, God granted to you your position of authority. God granted to you your status or your role. Um, because you can have, you can have a skill set that blows everybody out of the water. Right? You can be a, a, an eloquent speaker. You can be so many different things. If God closes the door, the door's closed. He alone, at the end of the day, will grant you positions of authority um, or, or status in society. And, and this idea goes for you know, all of those realms, right? The black belt, the athlete, the military man. God blessed them with an able body that is able to, to perform the things they do. They, they had no control over, over the type of body they were born with, right? Or, or for me, who's some, somebody, somebody who loves to study the word of God, and, and, and I'm, a, I'm a theology nerd, I like to, to think on these, on these concepts. I cannot begin to pride myself on my knowledge because God gave me a healthy brain by his own grace. He gave me a mind to think by his own grace. He gave us his word because of his own goodness, not because I did anything to deserve it. How easy is it to consider our Christian accolades as grounds to be regarded as a benefactor? How easy is it to think, oh, I've served at this church for 20 plus years, so I deserve this type of honor. I am due this type of honor because I am somehow greater. How easy is it to think, oh, I'm a pastor, so because of that, I am due honor. it It is my pay for what I've done. Meanwhile, it was the grace of God that we entered into the church, It was the grace of God um, that gives us the gifts to continue to serve the church. And it's the grace of God that we are still alive and breathing to serve the church currently, right? It, It all comes from the hand of God. To feel entitled to honor and to feel entitled to recognition as if you are greater than others is to forget that you were at one point a new member of the church. To look down on people who need wisdom and need maturity is to forget that at one point you needed wisdom and you needed maturity. And if the Lord withheld that from you, you would have never gotten it. This, in essence, is to refuse to see yourself in your neighbor and to think that you are somehow greater than them. It's to judge and evaluate yourself before the appointed time when God himself will evaluate you. And when I, use, when I use judgment and evaluation in this term, I mean it in a good way. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Commendation um, really just refers to praise from God. I don't know about you, but I'd rather receive praise and recognition, condemnation or commendation from God rather than me myself giving myself a pat on the back, right? And so to, to look at yourself and to pride yourself on your accolades and to neglect the grace of God is to prematurely attempt to evaluate yourself and to form a judgment that says, yeah, no, I am better. And I can therefore use my authority in congruence with that idea and abuse it. The Apostle Paul once regarded his own accolades as a source of pride. He once looked at this long laundry list of why he was a qualified Jew. But then he says, in the face of knowing Jesus, right, or in face of knowing Jesus, all those things are rubbish. This is what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, if anyone has grounds to brag, it's me. I have done this, done that. I was perfect according to the way of the Jews. But because now I know the grace of God, the goodness of Jesus towards me, now that I recognize all the things in my life that, have been, that are good and from God's hand, all that stuff is rubbish. What, what if we adopted that mindset? What if every time we are tempted to, um, to demand honor, to demand recognition because we are something special in the eyes of the world? Um, and I'm not saying these things aren't special, right? A, a pastor, a doctor, a CEO, or even maybe in your social setting, you just have a way with people or you've been esteemed highly by others. What if when we're tempted to demand honor and praise from others, um, we are reminded of the grace of Jesus, how good he's been to us, how undeserving of his kindness towards us we are, and we just look at those things like, those things are, are great, they're gifts from God, but it, in, in the face of knowing Jesus, they're rubbish. I know Jesus. I, I, I've been reconciled with my creator. He calls me a son of God. What if that was our standard by which we, we begin to brag, right? And I believe, I believe this, is, this is what Paul referred to. He's like, I can only boast in Christ. When we take that, attitudes toward, or that attitude towards our authority, we begin to use our authority to serve because we recognize my authority is a gift. It was given to me. I am not greater than others, and that's why I have this authority. It was granted to me by God. Um, the second point, and it's really on the same coin, just the different side. We are not responsible for our own exaltation. We are not responsible for our own exaltation. Let's go a little further um, in Luke 22 when Jesus was talking about the greatest among you will be servants. Um, we'll start in verse 27. He says this, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, 
that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew 23, in a similar context, um, reads like this. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus encouraged his disciples to serve, to use their authority to serve, but also reminded them that God himself will exalt them in due time. Jesus wasn't saying that you will be without exaltation. He was saying, no, there is one who will bring exaltation. But that is not your responsibility. That's his responsibility. This is almost to say, do not worry about climbing your way to the top. Do not worry about trying to, you know, to like a dog-eat-dog type of world, um, get your own so that you may be esteemed by others at the expense of others. But he said, recognize that I will reward your faithfulness, that I will exalt you, that I will open doors of opportunity, that I will call you up into a greater position of authority when I say that you're ready for it. Sometimes, and I'm speaking from my own life, sometimes we might attempt to exalt ourselves out of insecurity, right? Um, We may use our authority to establish why I am somehow deserving of this authority. When we have the misguided notion that we must, that we are in charge of our our exaltation, we will do everything within our power to make that happen. And this can take on so many forms, so I'm not gonna, I don't wanna give too many examples, but think about it at work, in a work setting, right? Let's say you are a leader somehow, a manager, a supervisor at work. If you are trying to establish your authority, right, and, and exalt yourself in the eyes of others, you may be tempted to become a domineering leader who lays down the law so that no one will mistake your authority over them. It's like, I'm gonna show them who's boss. I'm gonna show them who's in charge. Or just, you know, as someone working a job, you may watch your, your brother or sister mess up and you may use their, their shortcoming as an opportunity to gain praise in the eyes of your boss. You might say, hey, Jimmy messed up, but, um, but I, picked it up, I picked up his, his mess for you, you know? And all of a sudden, you are now trying to climb the social ladder to gain recognition, all because you do not believe that God himself will exalt you. So now instead of serving my brother, right, I use his shortcomings to boost my own image. We'll do this socially. Um, sometimes gossiping, mocking, or bragging is used as a power grab. Sometimes we'll be in social settings, right? And we will use the fact that we are with the in-group. We will look at somebody who is on the out-group and we'll mock, we'll gossip, all to boost our own reputation. It's a power grab. You are trying to exalt yourself in the eyes of your peers to boost your own reputation. In that sense, you are very much misusing your authority. You see that. Um, And unfortunately, this mindset has created a world where everybody is out for their own and doesn't care the way we treat others as long as I exalt myself, I am recognized as I deserve to be recognized, um, and, and, and I'm honored and acknowledged as somebody who deserves their authority. But Jesus says, it must not be like that among his people. This is not the way we do it in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never attempted to exalt himself, but looked to the Father to exalt him. We, therefore, do not raise ourselves to power or merit our own rise to glory. It's granted by our Father in heaven. So I cannot brag when I attain authority, nor can I manipulate it to gain. You see, does that make sense? Philippians 2, Paul encourages us to have that same mindset. Um, Check out this this humbling exaltation pattern that Jesus took, and then we are, therefore, um, are to model that. 
Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself. When he was on earth, he did not demand worship. He preached the truth, right? He revealed himself as the Messiah. But when it came time to the Jews and he was handed over to them, what did he do? He submitted. The the word says, uh, like a sheep led to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. He humbled himself to death and then was therefore exalted by God the Father. We too must take on that posture. We too have to remember that I do not raise myself from the dead. I do not exalt myself in the eyes of man. It's my father's job to do that. He will be my vindication. He will be my my justification. So how does this look in practice? So we kind of touched on those two misconceptions, right? Um, Believing that somehow we have earned our authority um, and forgetting that God alone brings exaltation. How does this look in practice if we are going to be Christ-like in our exercise of authority? Use your authority, social credit, or expertise not to gain recognition, but to serve others. This past week, uh, uh, myself, my wife, a group of our leaders and the youth were at the Hartford Project doing missions work in Hartford. Uh, there was a devotional that they had us do, which was to go around Elizabeth Park, which is known for its beautiful rose garden, to be in a prayerful conversation with the Lord, um, you know, uh, uh, praising him for the flowers, praising him for nature. Something that came to mind uh, um, that I think was in reference to this morning's message um, I was reminded of Jesus using the analogy of a gardener to describe our Father in heaven. And I couldn't help but think about the power of God, the wrath of God, the God who split the Red Sea, created the heavens and the earth, right? The God who is going to bring end times destruction on this world. Yet that power, he desires to use to cultivate life. He's the God who feeds the birds. He's the God who brings flowers, delicate, beautiful things to life. He does not desire to use his power to itch his own ego um, or to demand worship out of insecurity. Rather, he uses his power in a gentle form to bring about life in the things around him. And I couldn't help but think about how far humanity has come from God's intent of exercising our authority. We too were meant to love out of our place of authority, to not use our authority to crush, but use it to bring other people up. God is under no compulsion to serve anyone because no one is greater than him, right? He's the the king of kings, the the highest of highs, right? So when he loves, he's not doing it because he has to suck up to someone greater. He's loving because he is love. So his exercise of authority is even more remarkable because he does not have to love us in that way. So we too are meant to use our greater authority to cultivate life in those under us. It's easier in some ways for the lesser to serve the greater, right? Like I said before, if my, if my boss makes a joke, I might be more tempted to laugh at that joke rather than the new guy, right? Because I, I want to suck up to the boss. I want to be esteemed as better in my superior. But when the superior serves and honors the lesser, the only demonstration of that is the love of Christ because there's no gain there. You're not trying to raise your status. You're already their superior. And that's the love of God that 
he intended, that God intended for us to demonstrate through our authority. It, th- this, in, in maybe a modernized um, uh, application, this is the team captain or star athlete looking at the awkward freshman and saying, hey man, you did great in practice today, keep improving. Rather than saying, hey, did you see Jimmy? Man, that guy is awful, right? That's abusive authority. It's the experienced employee including the new guy in group conversation. Like, hey bro, come sit with us. Or, or helping him out when he drops the ball and then not gossiping about it later, right? You, you can help somebody who drops the ball, but then if you go to the coworker later, like, yeah, to pick up slack from the new guy, man, oh, like, right? You're not defending his reputation. You're using your authority to abuse him, even if you helped him out. You, you see how that's still an abuse of authority. You're not loving them. You're crushing them socially. It's the person in the in-group who defends others' reputations by shutting down gossip. It's the longtime churchgoer who uses his experience to welcome somebody in, who maybe sits with the new guy and gives up their, their seat that they normally sit at. It's the older brother who sees his younger brother's dirty egg pan and cleans it, even though it kills him inside. It's God, creator, and king of the universe, washing the feet of his disciples. So we, we all are familiar, from, I'm assuming for the most part, of that story. But what does it look like to wash the feet of our brothers and sisters to the world around us while we're in authority? What does that look like practically? It's regarding yourself as nothing so that you may regard someone else as something. How about when we're sharing the gospel? or ministering to somebody who may not be a Christian. It's very easy, and again, I'm gonna speak for my own life, it's very easy to confuse um, boldness with pride. I love this quote um, by Will Mancini that describes our role as ministers. He says this, I noticed that Paul often called himself a minister, literally a servant, diakonos, of the gospel. I realized that my job was to serve the gospel to people the way a waiter serves a meal. My job was to bring the gospel to the table and let it do the rest. When we are bringing the gospel, when we are loving people, do we see ourselves as the enlightened, wise Christian trying to convert the blind, dumb pagan as if we ourselves at some point were not the blind, dumb pagan and sometimes can still be blind and dumb? Or do we see ourselves as like um, what the word diakonos refers to as a butler? who simply brings the gospel to somebody's table and we serve them humbly with it, not trying to domineer over them, right? And and I'm not saying to not be bold, right? We boldly assume that position of servant, of butler, and we should be unashamed of that. But the boldness is in getting on one knee and serving them the gospel, whether it's in, in deed or in word, right? It's recognizing that I'm simply giving you the word of God, putting it on your table, I'm not domineering over you as if I, I am somehow was not a sinner at some point in my life and was not saved by the grace of, of Christ. In the same way, if we are going to exercise authority to serve others, then we must also submit to authority as Christ does. So the, the second practical application I want to point towards, submit to authority over you as Christ submitted to authority over him. If Jesus, though being God incarnate, honored and submitted to Pontius Pilate, if he submitted himself to the unjust trial of the Jews, then why do we get confused and thinking that being a Christian means we are justified in rebellion against authority? Submission to authority is not to agree with authority. In fact, when you disagree, 
that's even more of a call to honor the authority above you. Think about Jesus, right? When he taught his disciples to pay taxes to Caesar, he was not condoning the way Caesar ruled, but he was teaching how to submit to authority under you. Nor was his submission to the Jews who crucified him his, um, his confirmation that, yeah, this trial is just. No, the trial was wicked, but he still submitted himself. In the same way, we do not submit to authority because the one in charge deserves it, necessarily. Our submission to authority, especially when we disagree, actually demonstrates that we believe that God ultimately is the one on the throne. Right? Think about it. If we believe that God alone grants positions of authority and exalts those whom he chooses, then we ought to honor those that are in position of authority whether we agree or not. Ephesians 5 says this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our submission to authority is an exercise of faith, not neglect of it. When, when you submit to somebody with whom you disagree, you are actively proclaiming, I recognize that we disagree, and I still don't agree, but God is on the throne. He's put you above me, so I'm going to submit to that. This goes for the president. This goes for governors. This goes for church leaders, school teachers, your boss, etc. And please don't misunderstand me. This does not mean don't voice your opinion. I like to argue, okay? I, I like to debate. So... This is, not to, this is not to say, do not voice your opinion. Absolutely not. What I am saying, at the end of the day, regardless of the decisions made, God has appointed the one in charge and will judge the one in charge accordingly. Um, worship team, you can make your way back up to the stage. Um, if you will, can you all stand to your feet with me? I want to open up these altars um, for, specifically for two people, although the altars are open for anybody. The first person I'm speaking to um, are for those who might recognize their need to exercise Christ-like authority. If you are in this room um, and you recognize that you have maybe been a domineering leader, maybe you recognize that you have um, exercised authority out of a place of insecurity to establish yourself, or maybe you just recognize that you have been in certain social settings where you have not used um, the fact that you're on the in-group to help welcome and defend the reputation of others. Um, rather, you've, you've gossiped and you've brought people down. I encourage you to come to these altars and, re- and repent. Bring it to God. Say, Lord, I, this is in me. And this is a, a big problem with the world today. Is there's leaders out to gain what they can from their authority. I encourage you, if, you, if the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart today and, and you recognize that um, in any way, any form or fashion, Come to these altars and ask the Lord for forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful to heal. He is faithful to fill you with the power to to see clearly and to serve others in that way. Um, And the second person today, those who have been hurt by authority before. Maybe you have been under leadership that abused their, their authority. Maybe um, they, they use their status as a way to, um, to, to, again, itch their ego. And you have received um, on the back end of that leadership, and you've been hurt. Receive healing from the Lord today. If the Holy Spirit is addressing that in your life, and you have a problem with submission to authority, um, be reminded and encouraged that the, that is never the Lord's heart or intended desire. He never wanted you to be abused under authority or under leadership. 
He wanted you to be encouraged and brought up because of leadership. So if you have something from your past or even currently going on and you are being abused in authority, um, I encourage you to, to come to these altars, receive from the Holy Spirit um, that he loves you um, and that his heart for leadership looks like this. And, and if we can turn to him, we can actually see a new dynamic of leadership as the kingdom of heaven is brought to this earth. So we're going to go into um, a, a song briefly here, and um, I'm going to pray, and I encourage you guys to come to these altars. Father, I thank you for um, Jesus' words that are so provocative and clear. That we, that Jesus, if you washed feet, Lord, if you submitted to the wickedness of the, the Jews in their trial against you, then we ought to also submit in humility. We also ought to exercise authority with gentleness, with kindness, not domineering, not trying to prove ourselves greater than others, but to serve and to build up. I pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts and our minds to recognize areas of our lives where that might be happening. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict us with your gentle correction and that you would guide us in the better way that you have planned. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open for you. It is done, it is finished, Christ has won, he is risen, grace is here, love is tried. He is risen, grace 
Father, we humble ourselves before you, Lord, and we recognize that you are the greatest authority. Yet you do not use your authority to domineer, yet you use your authority to come as a carpenter, to die on a cross, to save us. Let us also demonstrate that love of Christ in our leadership, in our authority, and let us submit to authority, knowing that you alone exalt and you alone um, reign. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make this message um, real in our hearts, that we would posture ourselves as you do, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. These altars are still open. Please come receive prayer from one of our leaders here. And, um, but if you're, if you're going, God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday.